Uh, Father, uh, be with us as we um, learn more about uh, the law and its relationship to the gospel. We pray that um, as we learn these things that we would have a correct view of the gospel, um, that we wouldn't um, swing too far one way or the other, but that uh, as we understand these truths that it would... um, it would just uh, comfort our souls and and uh, help us to live freely, Father. So be with us, uh, be with the discussion, and uh, help us to learn. We pray in your son's name. Amen. All right, so today we are learning about the law and the gospel, right? Um, and so um, if you see up here on point one, it's a proper understanding of the inseparable relationship between the law and the gospel is vital for the Christian, Right? Uh, look down here at this, this uh, Spurgeon quote. Let me read it for you. There is no point of biblical interpretation and application where men make greater mistakes than the relationship which exists between the law and the gospel. Some put law instead of gospel. Some modify the law and the gospel and therefore preach neither law nor gospel. Um, and Bullhead, to see the glory of the whole would be a means to calm the conscience in times of mental and spiritual trouble. You see, a troubled conscience cannot be properly quieted unless the gospel is rightly distinguished from the law. On the other hand, there will be no troubled conscience to be quieted without the law. Um, so that kind of sums up the law and the gospel, right? He's, Spurgeon is saying that you have a proper understanding of both the law and the gospel um, in order to be to understand what it means to be comforted by the gospel and... Um, the law is what gives us our conscience, right, of, of who we are and whatnot, right? And we'll talk about that. Um, so I think I think when you think about the law and the gospel and just becoming a Christian, right, then we, we always have these questions of what that looks like, right? Um, and so I have these questions up here in this box. Are believers free from the law since they are under grace? Uh, is the law binding on believers? Just a different way of asking and what parts of the law are we still to obey if it's still in effect, right? Um, so we're going to talk about these things. Um, so when you think about law, what do we normally think about? Like we think about um, uh, obligation, right? Duty, and and with it a sense of um, maybe uh, a terror. And it's like, oh, if you don't obey the law, things are going to go badly, right? So uh, a skewed view of understanding the law is we become like we we do our duty begrudgingly, right? Like, it's, it's joyless. And when we think about the gospel, we're like, okay, gospel is awesome, right? It, uh, it provides promise, comfort, uh, love, and there's grace in the gospel, right? So so we tend to have these two, we t- tend to think these two are opposite from each other, right? Uh, but it's so important that we these two, understand that these two things are, are inseparable, right? Uh, they have to be together in order for us to uh, live properly. Uh, as Christians, right? You guys have any questions so far? Does that make sense? All right. So, so I broke it down into just law. So the sec- um, uh, the f- this page and the next page is uh, we're going to talk about the law, um, what it is, the purpose of it, and then what the gospel is. On the third page, and the fourth page is going to talk about how the Christian can live joyfully. Right? We put these two things together. What does it look like? All right, so let's start with the law. Uh, so, um, so uh, the argument is that the, 
the thing that we need to understand is that um, the law is, in a sense, still in effect with us today as Christians, right? Um, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna see why here in a second. Um, so we need to understand first that the law um, is still still in effect. Um, and then the question is always, oh, didn't the Old Testament have all these like different laws, um, whether it's the civil civil laws or ceremonial laws? Um, and I'm not going to go into the details of that, but I just want to make the point that uh, the civil law and the ceremonial law um, are no longer with us because Christ fulfilled it, but we still have to obey the moral law, right? So civil law is, are things like, um, it was specific to the nation of Israel, right? Um, like how to relate to each other. I uh, have little nitpicky details of the law, and then the ceremonial law um, had was like the sac- uh, sacrificial rituals, right? So, so we have three, three, three different types of law: ceremonial, civil. And so, we're not going to get into the details of this, but Christ fulfills this. Um, I just know that this is no longer binding on us. No longer binding. The point I'm trying to make is that the moral law is still binding. Moral law is still binding. And it's timeless, right? It was with the moral law has been with man from the very beginning, right? Um, and the moral law is we understand it to be timeless because it's it's uh, morality, right? What's right? What's wrong? And um, and even from the beginning, right? Adam, in Adam, he understood the law in his heart. Like the, God wrote the law in his heart, right? And if we look at Romans two, uh, Ash, can you read Romans two for us? For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For in Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even accuse them. Yeah, so Paul is saying here that the Gentiles, though, even though they did not have this uh, this written law, the Ten Commandments, right, um, that they, even though they do not have the law, right, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts because of their conscience, right? So, so God, um, it's not that it's not like the Jews were given the the, uh, the 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 Ten Commandments, the moral law, and only they were bound to it, right? Like in a sense, like ge- the Gentiles, um, uh, they suffered uh, judgment for their sin as well, right? Um, and so, the law, the giving of the law itself, the Ten Commandments, is not what uh, gives you your morality, right? It's written on our hearts. Right. So the point is that the moral law has been with us even before Sinai, even before um, uh, uh, God wrote the, the law on the, on the stone tablets. Right. So from the very beginning, and it's still with us today. Right. Uh, so if you look at number three, the moral law was not abolished by Christ. The Christian is not under the law because it has no power to justify, but he is obligated to follow the law as an objective standard of righteousness. So. We're not, we're not under the law in in the sense that 
it doesn't justify us, but we are still under the law in the sense that it shows us how to live righteously, right? Does that make sense? Um, so Matthew five seventeen, Jesse, can you read that for us? <clears throat> Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophet or, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Yeah. So Christ fulfilled um, the entirety of his law uh, of the law, ceremonial civil. This has been abrogated, abolished, um, and he has fulfilled the moral law for us. It's still binding on us, but. He fulfills it for us because we cannot keep the moral law perfectly, right? Uh, we'll always fail again and again, um, but yet this is still uh, applicable to us. Okay. Does that make sense? Any questions? Okay. All right, so we're going to get into the purpose of the law. Um, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism uh, speaks... Uh, uh, Let's read this whole thing. I, I think it's pretty important. Um, Andrew, can you read uh, the Heidelberg Catechism 2 to 5 for us? <laughs> um, how many things are necessary for thee to know that thou enjoying this comfort mayest live and die happily? Three, the first, how great my sins and miseries are. The second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. The third, how I shall express my gratitude to God for such a deliverance. Uh, once... Knowest thou thy misery out of the law of God? Uh, what does the law of God require of us? Christ teaches us that briefly, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven to 40, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first and the great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Canst thou keep all these things perfectly? In no wise, for I am prone by nature to hate God and my neighbors. Yeah, thanks. So that really sums up um, uh, what the law is for. Question three highlighted once. How do you know that you're miserable? How do you know your sin it is out of the law of God, right? Um, even the one with that, even the Gentile with the, the law written on his heart, like he knows he's like, oh, I'm miserable. <laughs> Um, so uh, the next page it says the law reveals the nature and the will of God right uh, so we know that um, uh, when God gave his uh, gave the law to us is out of his nature that he gave it right so it's a reflection of who he is of his character um, and so it's holy it's good right the law is holy it's good it's not a bad thing um it's uh, it's holy and good. Um, if you look at Romans seven, Chewy, can you read that for us? Seven twelve. Yeah. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Yeah. When we think of law, sometimes we, you know, like we'll think, oh, it's bad, right? Terror, uh, obligation. But no, the law is holy, right? It's, um, even Paul here in Romans seven, he's he's a huge believer that justification is by faith alone. Yet he says the law. It's holy, it's good, right? It's not a bad thing. Um, so we know that the law is... Are you have any questions, anybody? Questions or comments? Uh, law reveals the nature of God, right? <coughs> 
good. Um, and the second point, the law reveals the sinful condition of man and our need for redemption. Uh, Roxanne, can you read Romans 7, 7 for us? What, ta- what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Yeah. And Michael, uh, oh, he preached there in Romans 6, but, um, but yeah, the, uh, it says here that, um, that yet, yet if it had not been for the law, I wouldn't have known sin. Right? How do we, how do we know that we're sinful? You know, it's, it's not just, you know, it, it's, it doesn't come from nowhere. We know that we're sinful when we have an objective, um, standard of righteousness. You know, we see that we cannot, we do not, um, we cannot keep the law, right? So we know our sin um, through the law, right? So it's, it's the law is very necessary to reveal to us who we are, right, and who God is, right? This reveals God. This reveals who we are, right? And that's huge. So um, we see that the law convicts you. Um, it makes you feel bad about yourself. But ultimately, it's a gracious thing, right? It's a good thing. Because what does this do? It drives us to Christ, right? So it reveals sin and brings us <coughs> to Christ, right? We need a Savior. We are. We know that we need a Savior, right? Um, we have time. Let's, we could read this, uh, this um, Spurgeon quote. Jeff, can you read... Uh, a Spurgeon quote for us. The law cuts into the core of the evil. It reveals the seat of the malady and informs us that the leprosy lies deep within. Yeah, can you read the bunion as well? The man who does not know the nature of the law cannot know the nature of sin. And he who does not know the nature of sin can not know the nature of the Savior. Yeah. That's a question. Yes. Does Romans 7, the Paul says, not that the law I would have known sin. Does that feel like it's an intention with Romans 1, Romans 2? Um, by nature, you know what the law requires. Uh, yeah, well, in one sense, I feel like um, all humans have this uh, natural ability to know what uh, morality is. Uh, but here it says that it when we see the law um, written out for us um, objectively, <coughs> it, it, it helps us to uh, see truly wh- where we are, um, uh, what morality is. So it's, it's no longer subjective, like where we just think, like, oh, I just feel bad for this. But there's an objective standard of what morality is. We see it. And then so, so I guess we understand that, okay, this is what it looks like. Um, I'm wondering if the fact that it is subjective mm-hmm. and intuitive, although that is also binding, yeah. but it allows us to suppress it yes. or argue it away. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Um, but then when it's when you see when you confront what it's written, you can't. I mean, yeah. you can't squirm out of it. Yes, yeah, and that that's been so true in my life. You know, like whereas before in my immaturity, I'd be like, oh, I think this is wrong, but. 
I never read about it, so I'm gonna, <laughs> so I'm okay, you know. And then you know, after a while, you just you just become delusional. You just become like, okay, I, I, you just wallow in your sin because you might think it's okay, you know. But <laughs> once once I I picked this up and read it, I was like, oh man, <laughs> oh man, like I felt the weight of it, you know. I was like, okay, I've been suppressing it uh, this whole time, and oh man, and and that really hit me, you know. I'm wondering also if it goes the other way, yeah. which is that there's this, there's such a thing as false guilt, mm. or um, um, where you feel guilty, oh, yeah. but it's, you're not you're feeling guilty because you created it in your mind, yeah. or because of culture, but it's not really wrong. So that the law protects you in that sense, yes. Um, so that you don't feel simple, or you, you shouldn't feel simple, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, like a lot of legalists will might uh, if we hear a lot of like legalism or morality, then and in this in a bad sense where they're just like, okay, you, this you have to do this, 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 whatever. And I think uh, that can be dangerous uh, because you know that can if you don't see the other side of it, then you have this skewed view of what's right, what's wrong, and you just get confused. So yeah, absolutely, I, I think it really clarifies for you how freeing it is, but how yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. Questions, comments, or? Okay. So, the third thing the law does for us, um, and we, we mentioned this briefly, uh, we said the law has no power to justify, right? Um, also, it has no power to make us obey it, right? The Holy Spirit does that. Um, but the law is there for us to guide us in the direction towards holy living, right? So, Gives us gives objective standard of righteousness, right? And so, um, like Michael brought it, right? It also um, helps us to rid ourselves of um, a false standard of righteousness, right? Um, so this. What the, the law that God gives, you'd be like, okay, this this is the law. Everything else doesn't doesn't matter, right? Um, everything else is just man-made. But the Creator gave us these objective standards of holiness, right? So it reveals God, or who God is, reveals who we are, and the standard that we are to strive for, right? Um, And so, so yeah, I mean, like, when we think of what does, once we become a Christian, what does sanctification look like? You know, what does it consist of, right? Sanctification is growing in our holiness, just pleasing God, right? But how do we know, um, how do we, how do we please God, right? We do His will, and what's His will? It's written in His revealed word, right? It's in His law. Um, so Romans 3, Catherine, can you read us Romans three thirty one? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Yeah. I should have put a couple of verses uh, ahead. But Paul was just talking about that we're justified by faith apart from works of the law. Right? Yet he comes down a couple of verses later. He says, do we get rid of the law then? No, absolutely not. Right? We uphold the law. The law is still um, still with us. Right? Um, Ephesians 2. Uh, Aikman, can you read that for us? 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should work, we should walk in him. In them. Yeah. I think I think this is a really good verse because it says that our faith is not a res- our we're saved by faith, right? And it's not a result of our works that we're saved, right? It's a gift of God. Yet at the same time, um, a verse later it says we're created in Jesus uh, for good for good works. So we were made for good works, right? We're um, when we become Christian, we're made to uh, reflect Christ, reflect God and who He is in His holiness, right? <clears throat> And so we should walk in them, um, in good works, right? Uh, Romans, uh, Ash, can you read, uh, can read the whole thing? Ah, uh, sure, let's read the whole thing. <coughs> what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves <coughs> of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. <coughs> I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more, <coughs> more lawlessness, so now present yourselves uh, present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Yeah, thank you. And 17 says, we were once slaves, um, but now we're, we become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, right? So when you come, when you become a Christian, you're, you're a new creation, right? You are, um, you no longer live in sin, right? But you seek, uh, you're, you're a slave to righteousness. You're, you seek, um, to live holy, um, and that's how we become sanctified, right? Um, do you guys have any questions? <coughs> uh, let's go to Matthew 22. Dan, can you read Matthew 22 first? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the laws and the prophets. Yeah, so I put this down because it's kind of a sum of the law, right? Uh, he's saying that the, uh, the Ten Commandments basically break down. The first four are to... Um, our commandments to to honor God, right? And then the next six are uh, basically commandments to uh, your fellow man, right? Um, so he breaks it down. Uh, Jesus breaks it down and says, you know, to love your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, right? And then you also to love your neighbor. And he says, he sums it up. That's all. Uh, a lot of the, all these laws kind of uh, come from that, right? And so, um, you know, what strikes me reading Matthew twenty-two yeah. is. The way Jesus defines the law is not in terms of behavior, mm. but in terms of love. Love, which certainly includes behavior, but <coughs> yes. right? yeah. goes to um, intention, motivation, reason. Um, so the way he defines the law is really almost uh, too much. Right. 
right? And we see that in uh, um, his uh, Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, right? Or that he just expounds on the law and says, you know, it's not just this, but it's this, right? It's not just your external actions. It's, it's your heart, right? It's your internals, right? Um, and, and in that sense, Christianity really has the highest view of the law of any world religion because it penetrates all the way down to your heart. And so, uh, where, whereas um, everything else is really focused on external behavior. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think for a practical reason, if you define the law in terms of heart, then it's impossible to obey. Yes. <laughs> right? We have not obeyed a single command ever in our lives. If we define it that way. That's good. Thanks. I would say, like, I would also add, like, um, like sometimes we just, like, when we hear the law, it has, like, a negative connotation, but then um, this is, like, uh, in, in one of my uh, classes in seminary, <coughs> the um, professor, he defined the law as something that made it really positive. He said that just think of the law as the best way to live. Mm-hmm. It's um, We think in terms of, like, oh, why should you keep the law? Because if you don't, then you're going to get in trouble. You'll have these consequences. Whereas uh, the law is God God is telling us this is the best way for you to live as a human being. And uh, when we view it that way, then um, I think that it, it puts a positive spin on what is supposed to be positive because the purpose of the law, like, when God tells you to live a certain way, it's because that's the best way to live. It's not... Um, it's not merely to tell us, like, okay, I'm going to give you the law so you can break it, so you can, you'll know, so I can forgive you. It's also, like, think, like, when we think of it in those terms, I think uh, that's why in the in the Psalms, like, the psalmist says over and over, like, yeah. I love God's law. God's law is, like, honey to me. Yeah, thanks. Other thoughts, question. Right, so... Um, what is our motivation? Our motivation to obey this, right? Um, so I think we obey uh, when we understand that we cannot keep it, um, but but we in Christ, like we are um, are freed not from it, but we're freed from the um, uh, the condemnation of it. Then that's that's what gives us our motivation, right? So we obey uh, one out of gratitude, and and two as we grow in Christ, we see that, yeah, it's the best way to live, and that's who, what we were created to be, right? We were to reflect uh, the glory of God and the love of God. And so, um, as Christians, we uh, no longer um, wallow in our dark in the darkness, right? But we love the light, right? Because we are the light, right? So we love the light. Um, and so, we'll talk about the gospel and how that... Um, how that uh, uh, affects us. Okay, so I uh, turn the page. Um, we won't go through the um, all the verses, but we'll just hit on the main points here. Um, so the gospel consists of four essential things, right? Uh, the first thing is one: you have to know. It's kind of like that, right? You have to know God, as in. Know him not as redeemer, but you have to know him first as creator, right? So you have to understand this relationship of creator, creature, right? Like uh, Andrew talked about a couple weeks ago, right? When we understand that God is the creator of all things, right? And that we are insignificant, right? We are just the creatures. Um, um, God makes everything. He holds everything together. 
He rules over all things. Uh, when we have a a good understanding of that, that's when we be like, okay, wow, this. You become in awe of this God, and be like, how, what, <laughs> where do I even start? You know, and how, how can I, um, how can I uh, um, live for this God, right? Uh, so you need to know who God is. Um, uh, let's read. Let's read Acts seventeen because I really like this uh, verse. Uh, Mimi, can you read? God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live in all the places of the earth, having determined a lot of periods in the boundaries of the world of this, that they should seek God, and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Yeah. Um, this is Paul talking to um, to people uh, in Athens. They were unsure of who this God they were worshiping was, right? So, so Paul says, "This is God. He's the Creator of all things, right?" Um, and so, we need to understand God as Creator before we understand Him as Redeemer, right? So, know who God is. Know who you are, um, and then we have to know our sin, right? How do we know our sin? We just talked about it. The law, right? Um, if we just read the first, the bold here, Romans three twenty three, we all know this verse, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? So no one is, well, no one is free from sin. Um, everyone is under this um, uh, the condemnation of sin. Um, and then we need to know who Christ is, right? Um, Christ is uh, our Savior, right? He's He's God. Um, um, in human flesh, and, and and he comes down to redeem us. Um, Galatians three, March. Can you read that for us? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree." Yeah, he becomes a curse for us, right? Uh, we were under condemnation of the law, yet Christ redeems us. Christ fulfills the law for us, and he dies for us. He takes us in. Of all of us, and he um, and he dies for us, right? So that we can, so that, so like Second uh, Corinthians five twenty one says, right? In bold, it says that we might become the righteousness of God, right? He's a perfect sinless person, um, yet our sins were placed on him, right? God made him who knew no sin to be sin, right? Uh, so that we can be bought in, so that we can be righteous, right? And so these. Uh, this is what um, this is what we need to know, right? And then this is our response, right? Our response is faith, faith and repentance. Um, and then we see here in, in these following verses, there's a lot of imperatives, right? It says repent, believe, right? Um, Ephesians five eight um, says you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Uh, Ten in the bowl. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Right, it's not. It's not like we are. We become Christian and then we're just like, okay, cool, I'm saved. Right, I'm, I'm just saved, and and that's that's the end of it. But no, there's a call towards holiness. We have to, um, uh, we have to repent. We need to uh, walk as children of the light. Right, Ephesians two eight to ten. Um, I'll read that for us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your doing. It is the gift of God. We read this earlier. Right. 
um, not a result of works, but we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? And so our response, proper response is that, okay, I'm a Christian. Now I need, I'm a new creation. Now I need to um, reflect. I need to grow and reflect the glory of God, right? Reflect who God is, right? And so, um, I think the proper when, when we understand this proper understanding, the proper understanding of uh, between law and gospel, then um, our sanctification, our, our lives as Christians, no longer becomes burdensome, right? Um, but it becomes freeing, right? We don't question our salvation all the time, <laughs> or we shouldn't at all. But we know that yes, we are given the law, and we can't fulfill the law, but Christ fulfills it for us, right? And He redeems us. Um, and all the more that should empower us to live um, live lives of holiness and seek seek God in it right um, any comments or questions so far uh, okay let's go to the last page and we'll end there All right, so how can the Christian live joyfully? Right, um, uh, two extremes to stay away from legalism. What's legalism, right? It colla- uh, legalism collapses justification into sanctification. What that means is, um, your you, you put your trust in your works and who you are. Like, okay, I'm I'm living this way, so I must be saved, right? So you you think that your 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 growth, your works, your sanctification, um, it's it's also partly your justification, right? And so that's legalism, right? Um, but Paul, again and again, says, uh, no one, uh, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, right? And then we know, we understand the Pharisees, right? They were, outwardly, they appeared righteous, but they were full of hypocrisy inside. They were just holding to the law, right? So that's legalism. Um, we need to be careful of that, Um but the second thing, antinomianism, is just a fancy word for against the law, right? Anti-law. No, uh, it means that you're you, you're against the law, or you treat the law with little or no importance. So, antinomianism collapses sanctification into justification, and so what that means is you take your justification, and be like, okay, I'm saved, and so I'll just I don't know, magically be sanctified along the way, right? Um, and so you. You just live licentiously. You live. Um, um, you're like, okay, I'm covered by grace, so I'm good. I don't need to obey the law, right? So these are two extreme views, and they're not views you should hold to. Um, uh, and we have. Uh, I won't read James for you, but um, we'll just read the bold uh, of James two. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Um, and then 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And so these seem to contradict each other, right? Paul says, no, it's faith alone. But James says, no, it's, it's your works too, right? Um, are, but they're talking about the same gospel. They're just uh, warning about these two extremes. Um, some people view the gospel and they'll just skew it one way or the other. Um, so that's why it's so important to understand the fullness of the gospel is that, no, it's not... That we're uh, we're legalists. We're not against the law, but it does, we know that it doesn't save us, right? 
Uh, any questions on that so far? So you guys heard that we're justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone, right? Because a, a genuine faith will um, will show, right? It's kind of like I love Lauren, right? She's my wife, and and my the genuine uh, my genuine love is showed in me wanting to serve her, right? Me wanting to love her and 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 take care of her and and um, learn more about her, right? And I do these things not begrudgingly, but but yeah, because I love her, right? And so in the same manner, um, that's how it is with uh, our faith, right? We see who God is, and we're like, oh, God, is, God is awesome. We are nothing. Right? We're unworthy. Right? Uh, so last one here is soak in the gospel. Uh, the more we understand the gospel, the more we belong for God and be joyful and free to live, to reflect and glorify God. Um, let's just read the bold. This is... In Psalm, this is uh, David uh, when um, when he's being uh, chased by either Saul or Absalom. Um, they're trying to kill him, right? He says, "You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you." Um, verse three: Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Man, how do we get that, right? How do we get this love of, of God? No matter what comes, we know that God is is our is everything, is our life, right? Um, and Paul in Philippians, right? Um, for for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Uh, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. You know, it's not about um, putting our trust in this life; it's putting our trust in God and how great He is. Right? Um, verse eight of Philippians three: I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I just when I when I read this, it just it just blows me away that how how can we get that love of Christ? How can we how can we get that love for Christ for God? Um, this this joyful love and and, and passion for God. Um, and so, how do we do that? We 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 soak in the gospel. I I think like just how, when you understand more and more what this is, who God is, who you are, um, and what God has done for us, man. I mean, the more you soak in it, the more you understand just the different uh, facets of the gospel. You'll just be, you'll be completely changed, you know. Um, and so, at the same time, we know that the Christian life is not easy. We struggle, right? Um, even though we're new creations, we still struggle with sin. Um, and so I have this quote from John Newton, which is really good. Um, it's not in here. Um, he says, I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Right? What's he saying? He's saying that, man, I'm nowhere close to this. Right? This objective standard. I'm nowhere close to obeying, close to being holy, what we were made to be. But um, by the grace of God, we are who we are. And we, as new creations, we grow. You know, we grow, we understand the gospel more and more, and we long to be this, right? Yet we know we can't. So, so thank God for the cross, right? Um, and so let's finish with uh, this this box here, the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, uh, Dom, can you read this for us? Yeah. 
question one. What is thy only comfort in life and death? Answer. That I with body and soul, both in life and death, and not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins, and delivered me from all the power of the devil. And so preserves me that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can pop in my head, yet that all things must be subservient to my salvation, and therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life, and makes me sincerely willing and ready, henceforth, to live unto him. Yeah, that's the gospel, right? What's the only comfort in life and death? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, that, so that's the gospel. What's the only comfort in life and death? It's the gospel. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we understood, though. We understood. Yeah. So that's it. Right? That's that's the gospel. Our comfort in life and death is the gospel. Soak in it. Know what this is, right? The more we understand... Oh man, this, the beauty of what Christ has done. This and two thousand years ago on that cross, He became a curse for us, so that we could be redeemed. Man, that changes us. That changes our hearts. Um, the law doesn't. The law can't change our hearts, right? It shows us who we are, but it doesn't change our hearts. Right? The, the, the Holy Spirit does the work of changing the heart. And, I don't know. It's, it's so beautiful. So, um, you guys have any questions, comments before we close? <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, We thank you for uh, not just the gospel, but the law. Um, These aren't two separate things, but um, we thank you for just the entirety of of, uh, the gospel. Um, We pray, Father, that that we would not swing one way or the other. We wouldn't be legalists. We wouldn't um, take a cheap grace, but we would understand what you have done who you are who we are and may that um really just shake us um and and really uh help us to understand uh that you are our only hope um and that you hold us father we thank you for this free gift um salvation and we pray that as we reflect uh, the gospel that it would continually uh, grow us in sanctification that it would uh, continually drive us to be more and more like you um, uh, yeah, not just in our external actions but in our hearts Father that uh, uh, gospel would change everything about us so thank you so much for this time for er- everybody here uh, be with us as we continue worship uh, next hour and uh, may it be pleasing to you. Thank you. We love you. Pray in your son's name. Amen.